the Holy Family Chapel Hill podcast, where you will find our weekly sermons, as well as the occasional reflection, conversation, or interview. We are glad you are here. Welcome. Beloved God, guide us and stir us with your Holy Spirit, that we may become one body, one spirit, in Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. St. Paul's letter to the Romans is the longest and most theologically developed of his writings. In our reading this morning, taken from the 12th chapter, we find Paul shifting from his theological elaborations about the nature of salvation to what is technically known as the paranetic section of the letter, where Paul sets forth moral advice. He doesn't immediately jump to specifics, however. First, he offers some basic convictions about the nature of Christian obedience. And what are those basic convictions? Paul begins, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now think about that for a moment. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual worship. But what do bodies have to do with the spirit? And what does it mean for our bodies to become a living sacrifice? Paul is steering us away from any notion that life can be neatly divided into a spiritual part and a bodily part. Rather, the totality of our life and of our being in the world matter to God and have spiritual significance. We aren't being more holy when we pray than when we work. These aspects must be taken together. God hallows all of life. Those of you familiar with the rule of St. Benedict will recognize this as a hallmark of Benedictine spirituality. Idleness is the enemy of the soul, Benedict writes. Therefore, the brethren ought to be employed in manual labor at certain times, at others, in devout reading. To paraphrase the book of Ecclesiastes, Benedict is saying, there is a time for reflection and a time for activity. And the holy life, the life offered to God, embraces both. It was precisely when medieval monastics departed from this aspect of the rule and began to think it was more holy to recite the Psalms than to work that problems arose and daily chores became something that other, less holy people did. So work has to be hallowed. 
But that still leaves us with the question of what work we should do. How can we best channel our life and labor? This question leads us to verse 2. Paul continues, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Some activities are wholesome, some are not. And while God commends obedience, God does not commend conventionality, especially when that conventionality leads to acquiescence. Historian Lacey Ford has documented the extent to which the Upper South in post-revolutionary America decried the practice of slavery while refusing to take any concrete steps to end it. We can also point to the evils of our own day that we acknowledge and yet permit to continue, fearing that the cost of change or confrontation would be too high, economically, politically, or socially. And this lack of moral conviction can be found in the church as well as in the larger society. In a recent column, New York Times opinion writer Nicholas Kristof reflects upon Russell Moore's latest book, Losing Our Religion. Moore, the editor of Christianity Today, a leading evangelical journal, writes of his own ministry with young Christians and reports, I was less likely to hear about wayward children going out into the real world and losing their faith as I was to hear about wayward parents retreating into an imaginary world and losing their minds. Christoph continues, Moore cites data suggesting that the reason people leave churches is not that they lose their belief in God so much as they lose confidence in religious leaders and in the church's moral leadership. He thinks faith can still recover. I'm not so sure. Religious charlatans like Jerry Falwell may have meant to usher in a new great awakening, but in fact they taught millions of Americans to be wary of preening ventriloquists who claim to speak for God. The antidote to this may be to return to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and allow ourselves to be guided once more by St. Paul to forsake conformity to the world, but rather to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. As an old adage put it, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. If pastors condone gross immorality and illegality or seek to minimize it or rationalize it, they cannot expect to garner respect or retain credibility. And it will not be religious faith that is being abandoned so much as empty idolatry. But such renewal, if it comes, will not be a solo project. Paul goes on to issue a salutary warning that his readers not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. Simply put, we don't have to strike off on our own, as though only we can fix what ails the church 
and the world. We belong to the body of Christ, and as we attend to one another, and as we value the contributions which others make to the whole, we come to a right understanding of our distinctive rule as one member among many. Romans chapter 12, then, is a wonderful and wise reminder of what truly matters to God. Our lives matter. Our whole lives matter. Body, soul, and spirit, everything. And not our lives only, but the lives of everyone closely linked with ours. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You can find out more about the Church of the Holy Family at holyfamilychapelhill.org. Thanks for listening, and join us again next week. Peace be with you.